Silicon Valley Bank has been taken over by the FDIC. Now, what does this mean for you? What does this mean for the economy? What does this mean for everybody here in the Bay Area? And is this just insulated to the Bay Area? Or does this actually have much more impacts all across the globe? Don't let the word Silicon Valley Bank fool you in assuming that startups are only in the Bay Area. While there's a predominantly big startup community in the Bay Area, this impacts everywhere, including Seattle, London, China, Canada, and also has other businesses like wineries. So we're gonna talk about what exactly happened now that we actually have some more details that have unfolded, understanding like what happened logistically, what is a bank run and why does a bank run happen? What was done before to prevent these things, but what's the difference of this versus like a traditional bank for everyday depositors? We're gonna talk about, does this impact other regional banks? Is this just a run of the banks and then all the regional banks will collapse now? We will see and we'll talk about that. What's gonna be happening on Monday, tomorrow? That's gonna be a very big telling sign of like how this unfolds. Does this get stopped? There are remedies of this solution, of this, of, of this systemic risk being stopped, or does it continue to get worse? Monday morning needs to have a very decisive move for this to uh, to just get, not necessarily get resolved, but to build confidence again. And then last but not least, how will this potentially play out? And what are the silver linings, right? If you are tuning to this show, you are wanting to know things about life in the Bay Area, you want to know about real estate in the Bay Area, you want to know about impacts about the Bay Area market, I will share there are going to be some opportunities, to be fair. When there's times of distress, what are those opportunities? And so not everybody's going to deal with it. That's why there's opportunities. But we're going to be talking about all of those different topics in this session. So let's talk about it first. So let's look at the balance sheet and what exactly happened. So if you look at these, what has happened in history, and this is just the balance, this is the balance sheet of Silicon Valley Bank. You can see that their assets had exploded over the last couple of years. There was a lot of money poured into the venture capital firms. They kept, they were able to uh, get a lot more deposits, get a lot more cash capital, and their deposits basically, as you can see, 3x since the end of 2019 until the end of 2022 incredible growth and that's how they became a top 16 bank in the country so much money came in and that is how they continue to do well now if you look at this though the issue that they had is okay they have all this money and especially during this long extended time period there's just so much money that they didn't have anything to do with it they weren't loaning it out they were needing to just deploy that and get some level return. And so the mistake that they did, and this is where it becomes a potential issue for a lot of banks, is that did a lot of players, a lot of people, a lot of institutions buy these very long treasury yields or these long products that is not very liquid. Because what happens to these assets that take 10 years to mature, if there was increases in rates, the principle of those 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 bonds or those treasury uh, bills are significantly less because why would somebody want to buy something with a low interest unless it was at the right price? So what happens when interest rates rises, you get paid more for holding onto it, but the value of it drops. That's how bonds work. 
And so what happened was they had to, they bought a lot and there was nothing wrong with that. As long as they were able to have the length for it to fully expire, which takes many times 10 years. And so that was one of the first problems. And this is a big problem because every bank is going to be under, under scrutiny now, right? All banks need to be under scrutiny. Do they all have a 10-year maturity window or is it all short-term? They should all technically be very short-term because then they're less, less uh, impacted. But at the same time, these decisions, as you can see, was back in a year and a half ago or so, right? And that's a part of the problem. So what exactly happened? Several things occurred. Startups kept burning a lot of capital. So their deposits within these accounts kept going down. VCs were not funding them. So there was not new money coming in. So in general, the deposits kept shrinking, kept declining. And then what happened was because it got to some point and they, the bank and the institution realized, uh oh, this is not good. There are certain, uh, we need to, liquidate some of our portfolio to be able to have some money just in case because all these numbers kept going down they were selling some of their maturities their, their, some of their securities that were maturing very far out and that's where you saw the couple billion dollar loss because the value of it has declined tremendously when that got word out then different vc companies and institutions saw this and like, well, this is not good. Maybe I, I don't believe they're that strong anymore. Now, to be fair, they actually had all the deposits. They were just, they're not insolvent. But now that when they had to do this, it made the run on the bank. And that's what the run on the bank, that's how it happened. And so then a lot of money got moved out. Did you know $42 billion of capital got moved in like a matter of one or two days? And that's how it became insolvent then, right? Because they had to then force sell things and they couldn't force sell fast enough. Only sharks would buy and there was just not enough time. And so because of that, then it was well underwater and that's what actually happened. And that's what a bank run is. And this is why it's a bank run is so scary, right? Because the company itself, yes, should it have had really long-term securities? The answer now you look at hindsight, the answer is no, but they were actually had quite a bit of money. They had 13, 14 billion dollars of cash just laying around. However, the issue is if you had that much money and that much panic, and that's one of the pro and con of this um this kind of lemming-like behavior in the in the valley that it's so interconnected, because of that, then people all ran to the at the same time, got their money out, and that's what caused this 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 cascading impact. And that's how it got shut down on Friday had to be taken over. Now, what does this mean though? My guess is that a lot of the regional banks, they will not have as much exposure to like startups. So there's a little bit of benefit there that their deposits are not shrinking because they kept, they didn't have new deposits coming in. The other difference is that Silicon Valley Bank actually did venture debt. It wasn't a big amount, but it was about 10% of their books. So that was like kind of risky already to make that bet. 99% of other banks do not do that. But if people are afraid, they may have to look into the books and say, do they have long-term treasury yields? And if you had a 1% chance to know that your money may not be secured, you may then just go to a flight to quality asset. Who cares about a higher savings rate? You may they go to the top four banks and move your money there, which people have already done in this example. Now, the question is, 
the makeup of this bank is also a very niche makeup. I mean, think about this. There wasn't that much customer accounts of like individuals like you and I. They're mostly companies. They're mostly large institutions like VC funds. Um, so the makeup is very unique. It's more of a business bank than it is a consumer bank. Under 10% of the uh, assets had under $250,000. So other regional banks aren't set up that way. But there is that potential risk or that concern, like if there is even a slight chance, should you even have your bank there? Another bank here is like First Republic Bank. So I got an email from them. They said, look, we got $60 billion of cash. You're going to be fine. We're going to be all good. And that's great that they've sent out that, that, that message out because everybody over the weekend is deciding what should they be doing with that money? What should they be doing? Should they just move to a higher quality type of institution just to hedge risk? Or should they kind of wait and see? Now, if you have a fund under $250,000, it is covered by the FDIC. But if you're a business owner, most people are not really spreading it out that way. But that may be something that people are now doing if they have more than $250,000 in cash in these accounts. right? So very, very scary. And it's not just in cash. It can also be in stock accounts within those brokerages. right? So imagine if you had... Uh, money invested in this is a, a this is use a random brokerage bank A. You had $150,000 in stocks uh, and then $300,000 in cash. Well, if the whole institution goes down, just because your money is in stocks doesn't mean it's safe either, right? That was the scary part about SVB. Like the there are people who are buying mutual funds, but that's still counted as part of the overall deposit. And that's like very, that was the very bad part about it. Even if your money was divested, not just all cash you were still exposed. So the regional banks will be interesting. You've already saw a big stock impact uh, of 15, 20% in the last couple of days. And we'll see what happens on Monday. Does it? Does the government come back in? What happens Monday? The best case situation is this. You have a buyer, like a, maybe a Goldman Sachs or these players. It doesn't actually need that much money to fulfill this. It just needs to have liquidity available and say, look, I have the, you have my trust. And as long as you're going to stay, there's any way for them to stay committed to this and not leave. Maybe they could sign something or have some sort of agreement there. I think some other investors may get in, either hedge funds or like these big players. Um, but at the same time, there needs to be something from the federal level that comes in. And that goes to the different question now is why would a federal bank or why would the government want to help this Silicon Valley bank? The reality is this is not just a Silicon Valley. Now they did screw a lot of things up. They need to have things modified and this may be an impact for all regional banks. They got to change their accounting standards. They got to be able to do, a, uh, they got to market it daily. Uh, they got to update these, these unrealized, unrealized losses, right? Like there's a lot of accounting issues that they should have fixed or they should be in much shorter term uh, bonds and yields, but a lot of them may have been too late. Like a lot of them may have been buying these long-term treasury yields before. And so this may cause a big problem. And so the Fed has to come in and say, look, we're going we're gonna to ensure that all depositors have their money. We're going to wipe out all the shareholder value, all the bond values, but we're going to ensure that you get your money out. That will provide confidence in the system. Otherwise, this will spread, and not just spread in the U.S., but also spread all across the globe that has a startup ecosystem or has any sort of regional bank.
because people are going to be like, why would I want to go to a credit union or regional bank? I'd rather just go for the big one that has that kind of liquidity and that has the kind of money. So that's a big problem. So how will this play out? Like it's going to play out really in two ways. If the government is going to be proactive of that, there's going to be a little bit more confidence. I still think there's going to be some turmoil, but at least it'll provide some confidence to not all move their money. But if nothing happens first thing in the morning on Monday, then I think there, there may be this potential run of the bank because people should think it may be rational or irrational, depending on how you look at it. But if there's a 1% chance that you're not going to get your money and it's, it's not liquid to move things back and forth, why take that chance? And that's the scary part about it, right? Why take that chance at all? And that, that provides a cascading impact and just runs across the board. Now, the question then as a, as a realtor, as a, as a Bay Area native is, what's the silver lining of this? Are there any opportunities? On one end, I want to keep it as, obviously, it's, a, it's very stressful for a lot of people that are founders that are affected by this. And there will be things that play out of this, this, this event. But are there any silver linings? The silver linings is several, right? If you're a buyer, not everybody is in the startup ecosystem, to be fair. Everybody in big tech is not impacted, right? People that are these companies like Meta, Google, Apple, these other companies, these other big companies are not impacted. Uh, Silicon Valley Bank may, mainly dealt with startups. So while that side, that buyer pool will be greatly impacted, a lot of the buyers, to be fair, have always been these bigger companies because those those smaller companies have always had more risk and there's much more bigger problems like layoffs anyways. So it doesn't impact um, significantly yet, but people may say they may conclude it in advance and that's what may have some impacts of the buyer uh, emotions. So several things will happen as a silver lining because everybody still needs to make their moves for their own reasons. They want to take advantage of this market where there's less buyers. There'll be even less buyers now. They want to move up to a new place. They want to get into an area that they never were able to get into. Interest rates may actually decline because of this. So I don't think the Fed will keep increasing rates as it is because they're already seeing some impacts of it. So they may be doing more wait and see, maybe even decline. So there are several linings for all those buyers that are out there that are not directly tied to this because there are going to be for sure less buyers out there. There will be people that will be doing this wait and see. So I suspect there's going to be a lot of opportunities to be able to buy things at a discount. You're going to get lower rates. And to be fair, you'll have less competition. So who, play, who are the winners of this? The winners are those that plan to be in the area for a couple of years and settle down. There may be people that use low down payment options because there's less people out there. These are the different types of uh, winners that will be there. But obviously, time will tell to see how this plays out. Maybe it's a temporary blip, as in things turn out really well tomorrow. Maybe it gets prolonged, and there will be opportunities for people. Um, so that's that's my thoughts of what I see happening right now. I have There's still people. There are definitely a lot of people. I have many clients still actively looking and making moves. Uh, but it's certainly going to draw more buyers away which then will put more uh, pressure. Now, what's interesting was this spring was set up to be a very busy spring again, believe it or not, because rates had actually somewhat flattened. They're not at the peak and people were getting back out. There was some level of confidence, but this certainly has um, uh, dampened some things. So some people are impacted. They're out of the market while others are still buying for their own reasons, stopping paying rent, get their own place. They're still going to be buying. There's still going to be transactions but there's going to be now less buyers. And so there's just more opportunities for those buyers that are in the market to strike deals. If this was helpful, 
be sure to hit this hit the like button share this with your friends subscribe to my channel and if you want to talk about options you can call or text me at 408-547-4590 and we can come up with a game plan talk soon bye now